Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest. He was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses, just as the builder of a house has greater honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house, bearing witness to what would be spoken by God in the future. But Christ is faithful as a son over God's house, and we are his house, if indeed we hold firmly to our confidence and the hope in which we glory. So, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the wilderness, where your ancestors tested and tried me, though for 40 years they saw what I did. That is why I was angry with that generation. I said, their hearts are always going astray and they have not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end. As has just been said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. Who were they who heard and rebelled? Were they not all those Moses led out of Egypt? And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies perished in the wilderness? And to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest, if not to those who disobeyed? So we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. Hi everyone, uh, my name's Alex, I'm one of the ministers here. Uh, great to see lots of new faces here at Uni Church. Uh, some of you may not have met me before and you might go, well, why is this guy up here uh, preaching? I ask that question myself sometimes. <laughs> uh, but kind of how St. Jude's works, uh, if you were here last week, you would have heard our, our vicar, our senior minister, John, speak. He kind of oversees all of church, uh, all of our church, the campus here and the campus at Parkville. My role uh, is a campus minister of Carlton, so I kind of oversee the three congregations, have a particular involvement in, in 10 and our uh, uh, 4 p.m. service, but also lead the team here at Carlton. If you don't remember all that, that's fine, but I just wanted to give you a bit of a context in which to kind of fit me into. Uh, hopefully you would have received or wanted, got one of these as you came in. Uh, it'd be really helpful if you had it in front of you. Uh, on one side is the Bible passage, on the other side is a bit of an outline, just to give us a bit of a flag of where we're going tonight. Well, I don't know if you've heard the stat about car accidents. Uh, most of them uh, happen close to home. Maybe not quite that close to home. Well, one of the reasons they happen close to home is because, well, that's where we really do most of our driving. But it's not just that. It's also because of complacency. Uh, uh, when we're sort of near home, we're in familiar surroundings. We pay less attention because we're in familiar surroundings. And so we stop doing the things that keep us safe. We fiddle around with our phone. We kind of drive through that intersection because, hey, there's never a car coming the other way that time of the night. I just did that the other night. Thankfully, there wasn't a car coming 
the other way. And the reason I kind of mention this is because a similar thing, I think, can happen in the Christian life. Uh, As we go on in it, uh, we can become complacent. And we stop doing the things that kind of keep us on track. Uh, We start kind of accepting or excusing uh, the sin in our life. We spend less time with God and his people and and more of our, our time doing other things. And the end of that trajectory, if it's left unchecked, well, it's disastrous. Uh, At the heart of this passage is kind of a loud warning, uh, a loud collision alert. It's it's an urgent, uh, and it's to all of us. Have a look there at verse 12 in your outline. See to it. Be careful. Watch out. Brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, as long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the end. It's quite a sobering warning, isn't it? And God is taking us on a journey, the writer says, and it begins uh, with putting our trust in Jesus and its end, its destination is rest, uh, eternity with God in the new creation. But there's a danger, a danger that's, that's threatening to stop us reaching it. And that's an unbelieving heart, a heart hardened by sin. And, and this is the danger that the writer's warning us against. And against this danger, he gives us three uh, encouragements or, or, or defences. He says, first, look to Jesus, fix your thoughts on him. Second, uh, look to yourself. And thirdly, look to each other, look out for each other. And if we do those things, uh, that'll help us ensure by the Spirit's power, we all hold our conviction firmly to the end. Well, throughout this section of Hebrews, if you've been following with us over the last few weeks, we've seen the goal of creation, the goal of humanity, uh, the the destination that God is bringing us to. Uh, If you look back at chapter 2, verse 10, it's, it's glory. He's bringing many sons and daughters to glory, and in our passage today, in verse 11 and verse 18, it's, it's rest, a rest that lies in the future. That's our destination if we trust in Jesus. Well, let's think about holidays. Uh, what's the holiday that you'd love to have? What's your ideal holiday? Talk to the person next to you just for a couple of moments about what your ideal holiday is. <laughs> is it good? Okay, um, now I might ask some, some volunteers, maybe just a couple, uh, what, hand up, what's your, what's your ideal holiday? Yep, Garden of Eden, okay, you want to go a holiday, we'll, we'll need a time machine for that one. Ming? Disneyland, 
Oh, that sounds pretty good. Maybe one more. Norway? Norway? And then someone pointed at the screen. Yeah, it's it's very hard, isn't it, when you see the picture to think of anything else, right? Okay, let's, let's, let's cancel that picture and not distract everyone so you can all listen to me. Okay. We all love the idea of rest, right? Well, how many weeks in the year are we at uni? Like, we're at the end of O-week. Time for another rest, do you reckon? Another holiday? About time. But I wonder if our aspirations for rest, I wonder if they're big enough, if they're ambitious enough. We can think of rest like a holiday, but God's rest is so much better than a holiday, even your ideal holiday. It's life experienced in the complete fullness of God's blessing, when all his wonderful plans uh, for the world are, are realised in our lives. Rest is life in his presence, under his protection, with his provision amongst his people. Four Ps for you. Presence, protection, provision amongst his people. And God's rest isn't doing nothing. Sometimes we really want to do nothing. But do you really want to do that for eternity? Like do nothing for eternity? I reckon you get a bit bored after a little while. God's rest is life to the full. It's life without pain or suffering or grief or sadness. It's life without burdens or hard labour. It's what God created us for. It was made possible by Jesus, by his life, his death, his resurrection. And it's in the future, in the new creation, in glory. Now, I still occasionally read the actual newspaper, you know, the paper version, the age on the weekends with a lovely coffee, sometimes a nice almond croissant. Who here actually reads the actual newspaper still? Like maybe three people, as we've gone through the day, it's progressively got less, less (laughs) and less. Uh, As I've been reading the paper over the years, I've noticed things have changed. Uh, There's less of some things and there's more of others. Uh, There's a lot less news, right? Because what uh, outlets have been doing is been cutting back on how much they invest in journalism, right? The kind of purpose of the newspaper. Uh, There's less classifieds. Uh, A lot of that stuff, uh, buying and selling, job ads, it's all moved online. There's many more opinion pieces. I wonder what that says about our culture. Uh, The size of the property section, well, that's just increased massively. What does that say about what we care about? Another section that has massively expanded is the travel section. That says something too, I think, about uh, our desire for uh, leisure, for travel, for experiences. And that's not a bad thing, right? These are good gifts from God. However, there is a problem if we think those experiences, those holidays, are the fullness of life that God has planned for us. There's a problem if we locate our ultimate aspirations for rest on a beach or in catching a plane or or in anything else in the world. The problem is when that becomes the rest, the destination of our lives. And so let me ask, are our aspirations, our our dreams for rest actually too small? 
What God has planned for us is far, far, far better than we could imagine. And that's what he wants us to long for. Rest is our destination. But how do we get there? Well, the answer from the passage is really quite straightforward. It's through faith, through faith in God. From verse 6, we are God's house if indeed we hold firmly to our confidence, our faith, and the hope in which we glory. Or verse 14, we have come to share in Christ if we hold our original conviction, our faith, firmly to the very end. Our faith in God, that's the ticket, that's the sole entry ticket into his rest. Now, uh, it'll be good to have another look at the passage. Uh, You'll notice the context uh, where this warning is in in verse 12. It's kind of wedged between two quotations from Psalm 95. Now, Psalm 95 was originally addressed to Israel, and it's a warning to them. Uh, And it's based on the example of the wilderness generation. That's the generation of Israel that uh, God in the Exodus uh, rescued out of Egypt and then uh, led through the wilderness to the land of Canaan, which was the promised land, the, the land he promised to give them all his blessings, his rest. And so if you read the story in Numbers, uh, right at the front of the Bible in Numbers 13 and 14, you see God brought them to the land. But the problem was when they got there, they wouldn't go in. They were too worried, they were too scared. They rebelled. That's what the rebellion here is in this passage. And the reason why? Well, it was there in verse 19, it was because of their unbelief. They refused to trust God. And that refusal, it wasn't like a one-off event, like one strike and you're out. It was a climax of uh, a pattern of unbelief and disobedience that led up to it and then indeed as you read on it continued afterwards and so verse 17 under God's judgment they perished and they didn't enter God's rest these are the guys that God spoke to this is a generation that saw God's salvation with their own eyes but they didn't trust because their hearts were sinful and unbelieving. Friends, hearing the gospel message, that's not enough. We need to have faith. We need to place our trust in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Saviour. That's the ticket to God's rest, to our destination. And the genuineness of our faith, the the realness, the reality of our faith is seen in our obedience. Our faith results in a life lived in obedience to God, trusting his word, believing his word, and then doing it. God said to Israel, I've given you this wonderful land. Faith meant going in. Unbelief results in disobedience, hearing God's word, but doing the opposite. That's what Israel did. They didn't trust, so they didn't go in. Well, now God has spoken fully and finally and climactically 
in his son, in Jesus Christ. That's what Hebrews is about. That's how Hebrews starts, right? God has spoken through Jesus. So what does faith look like for us? Trusting in Jesus. Living in obedience to him. And this letter, it's written to Christians who are finding it hard to do that. Christians who are finding it hard to stay Christian. Uh, Maybe because of persecution. Maybe because they feel the pull back to their Jewish heritage and roots. Maybe because they've become complacent. But the writer says, you need to keep trusting Jesus. And not just now, and not just before, but right to the end. That's the faith that counts. We have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the end. And if we don't, well, we're like the Israel uh, generation in the wilderness who perished kind of persistent unbelief, disobedience, that's the danger that will prevent us reaching our destination. And so as we hear God's voice tonight, as he speaks to us by his Holy Spirit, that's the warning. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, as long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. That's the warning. But it also gives us, I think, a really helpful insight into where unbelief and disobedience actually comes from. Uh, He mentions two things there, uh, where it comes from. It comes when we doubt God and his goodness, when we have an unbelieving heart. And it comes when we Uh, believe sin's lies, when we're hardened by sin's deceitfulness. They're really like two sides of the same coin. On the one hand, it's disbelieving God, distrusting God. On the other hand, it's believing sin, believing its lies. If you're familiar with the story of the Garden of Eden, that's what happened then, right? Adam and Eve, they distrusted God and they believed the lies of Satan about what sin would do. But we face that temptation every day. Now, when I talk about doubting God, I need to clarify. The sort of doubt he's talking about here, the kind of unbelieving heart, is the the doubt that says, God, I so doubt you, I so doubt your goodness, I so doubt your way of doing things that I'm not going to trust you. I'm not going to do it. Imagine you turn up to the airport for your next plane trip, you look at the plane and you wonder, will it get me there? Or you're out uh, uh, on Ligon Street or one of the other beautiful things that Melbourne has to offer and you need to go home and you call up an Uber, you have a look at the car, you have a look at the driver and you go, will you get me home? You wonder. Well, that's a question. That's a wondering. That's a concern, and the real question is, are you going to get in? Are you going to hop in? The sort of doubt, the unbelieving 
heart that turns away from the living God, the, the sort of unbelief this passage is talking about is a doubt that says, I'm not hopping in. Actually, God, I'm not going to trust you and I'm going to move away. And that kind of doubt can become a pattern. We move further and further away until we stop trusting God altogether. That's what happened to Israel in the wilderness. But the fact we have questions or concerns, that's not sin. That's normal. You might have all sorts of questions about God and the Christian faith. Is God, is, it, is he really going to be good? Is his plan best? Having questions is normal. You'll see in the Gospels, you see Jesus dealing with people who have doubts and he's gentle and he's kind. The issue is, what are you going to do with these questions and doubts? And we all have them, right? When life is hard, when your life isn't turning out the way that you hoped it would turn out, when you don't have all the answers, what are you going to do? When his way doesn't feel right to you, will you lean into God or will you turn away? If when push comes to shove, you're saying, look, I don't fully understand God, but I'm going to trust. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to obey you anyway. That's, that's faith. But the response that says, I don't trust you, I won't live the life you call me to, I'm, I'm going to desert you, that kind of doubt, that leads to the unbelief this passage is talking about. So today, brothers and sisters, if you hear God's voice, don't have a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from him. That's one side of the coin. The other side on the coin, don't be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Don't believe sin's lies. Don't believe the lie that your sin won't hurt anybody or it's not really a big deal. That's a lie. Don't believe the lie that you kind of need, need to kind of amass your money and your wealth because, because God uh, won't provide all that you need. That's a lie. Don't believe the lie that you should find your identity in your marks, in, in, in your achievement, because God isn't enough for you. That's a lie. Don't believe the lie that it's okay to live for material pleasure, for, just for experiences, because, hey, it's all God's gift, right? That's not enjoying God's goodness. That's, that's idolatry. Don't believe the lie that, that sin is better than Jesus and his plans for your sanctification and glory. It's a lie. Jesus is better than anything. The more we believe sin, the greater the spiritual danger. The more we give into it, the more hardened we are by it. So don't be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. A few words before we move on. I just want to make it clear, some, some things about the gospel. The gospel is a gospel of grace. There is always forgiveness for sin. 
When we turn back to God, there's always forgiveness. Jesus has died for you and no one can snatch you out of his hand. Please, please hear that clearly. You see, the purpose of this warning is not to worry or, or question God's love or, or our salvation. And please hear this clearly. This passage is also not directed at those who have walked away from God. I reckon some of us might be sitting here tonight uh, as we hear these words and, and our hearts may be feeling heavy. There are those we know who are, and love who have turned away from God and are living without him now. That's hard. If that's you, just remember the, par- the, the parable that Jesus told of the lost son, the prodigal son, right? It's a story of the son uh, who rejected and turned away from his father. And the father in that parable is God. Well, how does the story end? The son turns back, right? The son turns back. And when he did, the father was there waiting with his arms open wide to welcome him home. That's God for all who turn and seek him, no matter where they are, what they've done. God loves the people that we love more than we could ever, ever imagine. His mercy, it's infinite, it's boundless. Jesus died for those people we're thinking of. So keep praying. God's not done yet. The purpose of this warning is, however, directed to us to warn us against that persistent refusal to trust God and to warn us against a pattern of living that consistently excuses and embraces sin. Well, the destination is rest. The entry ticket is faith in God and the danger is unbelief and disobedience. And now the writer gives us the defence, three encouragements to, to help us hold firmly to the end. And the first one is in verse one, look to Jesus. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest. He was faithful to the one who appointed him. We trust Jesus, we confess Jesus, we obey Jesus, and we fix our thoughts on Jesus because he's the great example, the ultimate example of faithfulness to God. I hear Jesus is contrasted with someone else who was really faithful, Moses. And I'm sure Moses wouldn't mind me saying this, but Jesus was better. He's the one who perfectly trusted and obeyed God. And he did it even when it was incredibly hard. Uh, Jesus uh, was out in the wilderness at the start of his ministry and there uh, he met Satan and Satan tried to tempt him. He was offering him kingdoms if he would bow down before Satan. And what uh, the Satan was really offering Jesus was a path to glory without the cross and without suffering and without our salvation. I reckon that would have been really tempting if you could kind of skip all that hard stuff. But when faced with that choice, what did Jesus do? He quoted back the word of God. 
He trusted the word of God. He obeyed. He stuck to his mission. And so the writer urges us, look to Jesus, look to his great example of faithfulness, and you can read about it through the Gospels. Look to Jesus, and then ask for the Spirit's help to help us follow him, to do likewise. So look to Jesus, second, look to yourself. Uh, Throughout this passage, uh, the writer urges us, don't be like unbelieving Israel. Make sure we're people of faith who hold firmly to the end. As you hear this warning, are you feeling a little bit worried? I know my own heart. I know that to, to my shame, I've sinned today, several times. If faith is the entry ticket and, and disobedience is the opposite, what hope is there for me? Have a look at uh, verse 1 of chapter 3 again carefully. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, if you have put your faith in Jesus, you are holy. You share in the heavenly calling. If I've put my trust in Jesus, I've been purified from sin. I've been forgiven. And there's lots of stuff in the rest of Hebrews that'll, that'll tell us all that. That's the truth and nothing can change it. And while that's true, I will still sin. I will stumble and I will turn away. However, sinlessness is not the, mark, it's not the true mark of faith for God's people. The true mark of faith for God's people is not perfection, it's repentance, right? Repentance. Now, repentance is just a word that means to turn away. Repentance is when we turn away from sin, whatever that might be, and we turn back to God and try and do his word. That's what Israel refused to do because they were hardened by sin's deceitfulness. They weren't repenting. They had unbelieving hearts. They wouldn't repent no matter how much God spoke, how he revealed himself, no matter how many warnings they were given. So the question really is, is not did you or did I sin today? Because we know the answer to that question, right? The answer is yes. The question is, with God's help, how are we going to respond? A child of God responds with repentance, confessing sin, asking the Spirit's help to turn back to him. That's the mark of faith, not perfection, because Jesus was the one who was perfect and made uh, us his holy people. So first, look to Jesus, look to ourselves, and finally, look to one another. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you have, uh, has a sinful, unbelieving heart, but encourage one another daily so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. In our culture, we can have a tendency to think that the Christian life is really just about us and God. We live in a very incredibly individualistic culture. But that's just not true. It is about us and Jesus, but it's also about, it's, it is about you and Jesus, but it's also about us and Jesus. When we're saved by Christ, we're saved into his family. We become sons and daughters of God and we become brothers and sisters together. That's how we're being addressed here, isn't it? Brothers and sisters. We're a family. And as a family, we have a responsibility for each other, to each other. And that's to genuinely 
and deliberately look to each other's progress in the faith. We need to do that for each other. You see, a church family is like a brazier of, of hot coals. You put them together and they kind of share heat and they stay hot for ages. But what, what happens if you get one and you take it out and you put it by itself? It kind of quickly grows cold. That's what happens to us. If we're not meeting with God's people, if we're not encouraging and being encouraged, we quickly grow cold. And so we need to do that for each other, so we don't. If someone is struggling with sin, it's not just a them problem, it's not just a you problem, it's an us problem. My progress in the faith is not just a me responsibility, it's an us responsibility. We have a responsibility for each other. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart. Encourage one another daily. Do you feel the weight of that responsibility for your brothers and sisters that are sitting next to you here at church? Well, what does that responsibility look like? Well, I think it means turning up for each other at church, in our small groups. They're a great way to keep encouraging each other in our just relationships in general together. Not just to catch up, because that's good to catch up, but with an eye to each other's spiritual growth and welfare, being deliberate, being purposeful about that. Uh, It looks like affirming the work that God is doing in each other's lives, encouraging each other. I can see how God is really uh, uh, helping you grow in that area. That's great. It looks like giving each other the courage to love others and obey God even when it's really hard, you know? Yeah, sure, we're being treated unfairly at work or at uni, but we need to be godly. We need to represent Christ. We need to give each other the courage to do that. Don't underestimate the impact you can have by turning up here each week with a heart to encourage others. God has works of eternal significance for you to do here. Do you think about church like that? Under God, it might be your prayer, the thing that you say or the thing that you do that might help a brother or a sister back on the road to heaven. It looks like gently and graciously correcting each other. When was the last time you did that for a brother or sister? When was the last time someone did that for you? And is the reason that's not happening, is that because we're all okay? We kind of don't need it. We've kind of reached maturity. No, thanks, you don't need to correct me. I've got this sorted. That's not the reason, is it? It's because it's hard. It's hard to do it, and it's hard to receive it. But we need to develop a culture that does that. Because, brothers and sisters, I am weak. I'm often blind to my own failings. So I need you to help me trust God. I need to help me uh, love Jesus more than I love sin. I need you to care enough about me to help me not be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. So look to Jesus. 
Look to yourself and look to each other. Let me pray that God would help us to do that. Loving Father God, we thank you that you have brought us into your family. Thank you that you care enough about us that you warn us, that you warn us to keep us on the road to heaven. By your spirit, help us fix our thoughts on Jesus. Help us to look to ourselves, to repent of our sins, and help us look to love and encourage each other. In Jesus' name, amen.